let me uh, say again, welcome to our church today. We're delighted that you are here. Uh, I understand it's about 20 till 11, and my sermon in total takes about 55 minutes. So what I've decided to do is uh, shorten it considerably because uh, we're going to have a business conference here in just a few minutes for the membership of the church. But I do want to share at least part of this message that God has uh, given me this week on the tribulation judgment out of Revelation uh, chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, that'd be great if you'd go ahead and turn with me. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, in a few moments, uh, it'll, it'll come up here on the, on the screens and you can follow along uh, with us. But again, we're just delighted that you are here. And if you are a guest, again, we are thrilled that you're here today. This may be your first time at Great Hills and we, we welcome you. Before I share this message with you though, I do feel it prudent and at least um, incumbent upon me as a, uh, as a public servant to share just a, a little bit of my perspective of what is going on, uh, especially with the events in uh, Houston, Texas. Um, many of you know that the mayor of the great city of Houston has helped issue these subpoenas on these pastor's sermons. Anything that deals with uh, sexuality, homosexuality, uh, the gay, lesbian, transgendered, bisexual, the, the whole gamut. And so uh, it has caused quite an uproar in the state of Texas. Uh, some outside the state have not heard about this, though I'm, I have a hard time believing that because it's all on, on the news. I just want to share with you a little bit of my perspective on that. First of all, I want to say that I believe what the mayor has done is absolutely ludicrous, is what she has done. <clears throat> you know, it, it really flies in the face of everything we stand for as Americans. I was looking at our Constitution again, and the first uh, Bill of Rights, and this was signed December 15, 1791. In case it's been a while since you've had your history, let, let, let me share with you what the Bill of Rights states. This is the First Amendment to the Constitution approved by our Founding Fathers, and it states, and I quote, Congress, listen, if it's good enough for Congress, it's good enough for the mayor, all right? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. In other words, I just translate it this way. What goes on in the church and in the pulpit, it is under God and is still under the Constitution of the United States of America to be given liberty and hands off from any government official. So let, let me share this with you by way of, of joy in the sense that we still have a country that believes that, but also as a word of warning. This is a shot across the bow. This is a sign of things to come. One percent of our population may be of the homosexual variety, but I'm telling you, it is in every segment of Hollywood. It is in almost every single movie, every single TV sitcom show. There is a radical agenda by some to totally redefine the traditional homogeneous nuclear building block of society, and that is a man and a woman that are married and have children. And this, I believe, is only a sign uh, of the times. I've written a new book, and as, as the Lord would have it, 
It's at the publisher right now. We're working on the final edits, and it's about to be printed, and it's called Modern Family Vintage Values. I'll probably be subpoenaed. I mean, if it's, it's going to be just, but here, it's not a bellicose book. It's really not. It's not a, a book of anger and what's wrong with you homosexual people. It's not that at all. In fact, I would encourage you to get it and buy it. If you can't buy it, I'll, buy, I'll get you a, a copy of it. And it's a series of sermons that I preached here at Great Hills on the traditional family. And I hope that I communicate in a way of love and compassion to those who would uh, disagree. But let me say this again. If the Bill of Rights is good for Congress, it's good for mayors and any other politician in the United States. Ebola. Ebola uh, is, is a problem. Uh, we as a nation, uh, I think we overestimated our, our preparedness. I was in the hospital on Wednesday making our weekly round of visitation, and there was quite a stir. There was a doctor in, in Seton downtown, and he had these words on his coat, infectious diseases. And I thought, isn't that interesting? And man, it was a stir. And I overheard him tell one of his colleagues, we have overestimated our preparedness in the hospitals. I was talking to someone just last night who was a nurse on one of the prominent uh, hospitals in the southeast part of the United States, and he told me, we are in no way ready for this. In fact, I am not going to work if it comes to my hospital. So we, we have a ways to go to prepare for uh, this dreaded pestilence, this dreaded disease where there is no cure. I do want to tell you this, though. I am praying, and I know you're praying, that God would grant to the, uh, to the scientists, to the virologists, to the infectious disease experts that we could find a cure that would not only help our nation, but help the nations of the world, ISIS. These people are bent on destruction. These people want to destroy all the capitalism and all the things that we hold dear uh, in the United States. And we have a presence over there, and I'm praying, thank you, Doug, I'm praying that God breaks their teeth, that God destroys such a people who would seek to decapitate innocent human beings. So it is a vicious war going on in the Middle East, and I'm praying that God would grant this coalition of armies and forces that they would be very successful. Politics. Never in my 50 years of living has America ever been so divided. Uh, it is the most angry group of politicians and congressmen and senators that I have ever seen, and I believe it starts with the leadership, with the head, with the president. And I've never seen such acrimony, such bitterness, such violence, and I, and I believe we're in just a prime place for a revival that would start in the pulpits and then head on over into politics. Are these a sign of the times that Jesus Christ is soon coming? Perhaps. Perhaps. You know, the New Testament writers, when they wrote what they did, all of them had this sense of imminence. They had this sense of urgency that at any moment, Christ could come again. And now here we are, 2,000 years removed. We've seen so many prophecies fulfilled. We see so many prophecies on the horizon of being fulfilled. So let me say it like this. If Jesus is not coming in my lifetime, I will be surprised. But I want to live as if He is coming today. That is, that is the urgency. That is the message of the New Testament. Live in such a way 
that Christ could come at any moment. My wife and daughter went to see the movie Left Behind, and I am familiar with the premise of it, and, and I agree with most of it. I don't know where you are in your eschatology, whether you agree or disagree with that, but my wife, she got excited. She started posting on Facebook, basically some, went something like this, man, Jesus is coming again. If you know anybody that needs Him, you better go witness to Him. You know, and I think that is a great response, and so that's what I did. I have been sharing the gospel like a wild man this week. I have been bold. I have been confrontational in a good way. And I have just gone knocking on doors. A group of us went out Thursday night, and we were knocking on doors here in the Great Hills community. We're sharing the gospel. We're encouraging people. We're loving people. And that's what a good, thorough understanding of the book of Revelation will do to you. It'll help you. It'll make you more like Christ. It'll give you more a sense of urgency and expediency. It'll give you a sense of, oh, God, this world is in trouble, but oh, God, we know that you are in control, and you will be victorious. So what I was doing this week as I was preparing the sermon, I started walking through Hollywood. And I began to investigate and study some of the movies that I have seen over the last few years that have to do with the apocalypse. Many of you have seen Bruce Willis and the Boys in Armageddon. Let me, let me refresh your memory in case you have forgotten. There's an asteroid heading toward um, the world. And I forget what country it's about to obliterate. And so Bruce Willis and the guys, they go up, interstellar travel, and they land on the asteroid, and they plant a nuclear bomb on the asteroid, and Bruce Willis blows it up. He's blown up. He dies. And the world is saved in Armageddon. That has a biblical title, but there is nothing biblical whatsoever about that movie. Let me give you another one. I Am Legend. I like Will Smith. Great actor. Will Smith, they try to come up with a cure for cancer. It goes bad, and it begins to destroy the human race. And Will Smith, with those enormously ugly creatures in that movie, he blows himself up. He blows them, many of them up, but he gives a little canister of the, of the antidote that will save the world. Nothing biblical about that. World War Z. My word. <laughs> Zombies. Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, what, what, what can I say? It's. <laughs> can, can we at least agree that there is a fascination with the apocalypse? That at least it is within the heart and mind of men and women to entertain that what would happen if a, a, a storm swept across America and zombie, we all turned into zombies and started eating each other, but finally Brad Smith and his family, they survive and he saves the world. Nothing, absolutely nothing biblical about that. Interstellar is coming out November the 7th. Another guy, ladies, that's easy on the eyes, amen, Matthew McConaughey. I mean, he's just as handsome as he can be. I was listening to his speech to the University of Texas the other day. I could not disagree with his speech more to the, uh, to the football team. But anyhow, he, November the 7th, it's coming out. And I have not seen it, obviously, because it's not November the 7th. But I can tell you the storyline. Matthew McConaughey, I it, the world is about to end as we know it. The world is ending, and McConaughey and his colleague interstellar travel to go, and I don't know what happens after that. It's probably going to go something like they find another planet, and we all live happily ever after. Nothing biblical about that left behind. Now, there's a lot biblical 
about that. And here, here's where we disagree. All of Hollywood is building toward a major crisis, a, a calamity of global proportions, Armageddon-esque. But the difference is, in Hollywood, man steps in and saves the day. But in the Bible, Jesus steps in and saves the day. And that is a vast, vast difference. And so I believe the reason Hollywood and so many others are so enormously engrossed and infatuated with eschatology is God has put eternity in our hearts. And we, if we don't know Christ, we will create scenarios with global proportions where humanism, secularism, mankind saves the day, all right? Think about it. But in the New Testament, it goes something like this. Jesus comes, God's final answer, His authority, His Son. He died on a cross and arose from the dead. He conquered the grave. You'd think everybody in the world would become a Christian if somebody could rise from the dead and prove it, and Jesus did. And then we're going to live for however long on planet Earth, generation after generation, and it will get bad, and it will get worse, and then it happens. Armageddon really does happen in Revelation 19, and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes, saves the day, establishes His kingdom on planet Earth from Jerusalem, and He reigns for a thousand years, and we reign with Him, and after that, there is an incineration, there is a destruction of heaven and earth as we know it, and God issues and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth, and all God's people live happily ever after. That's the Bible's view of eschatology. I don't know about you, but I sure like the Bible's better than Hollywood's. Amen. In Revelation chapter 5, we studied a chapter of enormous importance. In Revelation chapter 5, God the Father has in His hand in this phenomenological language, in this anthropomorphological language, which simply means it's our way of humanly speaking that we can understand it, though God the Father does not have a hand because He's a spirit, okay? But somehow John pictures this, there's a scroll in his hand, and the Son comes and takes the scroll, and when He does, many people believe that that's the title deed to planet Earth. And all of the events of Revelation 6 through 19 are contained within those seven seals. And then those seals contain the trumpets, and the trumpets contain the bowls. In other words, what is about to happen on planet Earth? There will be an emergence of the Antichrist. There will be the mark of the beast. There will be Armageddon. There will be all of these judgments. And it really begins when the Son takes the scroll from the Father. So Revelation chapter 5, I understand it better now why many theologians said, if you don't get chapter 5 right, you're not going to get the rest of the book right. And I hope uh, that you've understood Revelation chapter 5. God is righteous. God is holy. God owns the universe. Many times we depict God only as holy, righteous, rightful owner of the universe, and we forget that God is also, listen to this, loving, kind, compassionate. And within the one nature of God, there is the sense of holiness and the sense of love, the sense of wrath and the, the sense of justice 
and this sense of no acquittal. And then on the other hand, there is this sense of mercy and compassion and joy. And, and you see it so beautifully personified in the one who came from heaven. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and He was full of grace and full of truth. So, I've got some good news for us. Do not fear. God wins. God wins. And if you know Christ, you also will win. So what are we to do between now and the rapture? Or if there is no rapture, between now and the time that Jesus comes in Revelation 19, what are we supposed to do? We're not to live in fear. We're to live with a sense of destiny. We're to live with a sense of, of expectancy. Listen to this. And we are to do the kind of things that we are doing as a church at Great Hills. So let me just give you a little recapitulation, a little summary of what's been going on over the last few days. And we're going to get to Revelation chapter 8 in just a moment, but just give me a moment to share some good things with you. On Tuesday, there were 10 countries in our church. One of them was Iran. It is the coolest thing to meet an Iranian. Because all, I'm, all I know, what I'm taught, is they're the enemy and don't trust them at all. Listen, there are people that need Jesus. And then I met somebody from China who recently converted to Christianity to Christ. And there we were eating lunch together, and Nancy Gibbs and her team of LifeBridge Ministry, it was absolutely amazing. The room was packed with Great Hills Christians and people from all over the planet. Most of them can't speak English. That's why they're here, to learn English. And we had a blast. And they said, Pastor, would you come and eat? Listen, I didn't have to pray about that. You know, you want to come and eat? Yes, I want to eat. And they said, well, would you say the blessing? Didn't have to pray about that either. I said, yes. And I prayed the gospel as hard and as fast as I could, the good news of the gospel. I walked out of that room, in the very next room, there's a group of senior adults, senior citizens, trendsetters, call them what you want, awesome men and women who meet with a group of people in Austin who have dementia and Alzheimer's, and they meet right over here every Tuesday. Did, did, did anybody else know that that's going on in your church? It is amazing. And I walked over there, and y'all know my heart's already soft and tender toward those things, because if my mom lived in Austin, she would be in there with them. And so they're just loving on them and just being compassionate. And I just thought, you know, that's, that's amazing. Yesterday, I don't know how many hundreds of people showed up at the Crow's Nest Farm out there in the metropolis of Maynard, Texas. Amen. And I'm telling you, we had a holy hootenanny, banjo-picking farm time. I'm telling you, it was a blast. And I've never seen so many grandparents from Great Hills and parents and children, and we just had a sweet time of fellowship. So listen to me carefully. It may be the end of the world as we know it, but I believe with all of my heart that what God would have you to do and me to do as a Christian is not live in fear, but live in faith. Live in hope. Do the things. Listen, do the things that God would have us do. Be a church. Be full of joy. Be full of life. Be attractional in our missions. Let, let people see this is what we believe, and this is how we live. One author, John MacArthur, I think gives a very apt and good description of what is going on 
and what will happen as we ramp up into Revelation 8, and I'll read a few verses, and it says, there is a sense in which the present age is man's day. He is free to do what he wants to do within certain limitations. It is also Satan's day, during which the God of this world, little g, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, the devil himself, has been granted certain liberties within the parameters of God's purposeful, sovereign tolerance. But God will not per per permit the present state of affairs to continue forever. He will end man's day. He will overthrow the usurper, Satan. He will destroy the present evil world system and establish the earthly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That future time of judgment is known appropriately as the day of the Lord. That day involves a complete renovation of the universe and the earth by judgment and restoration. That is what's coming. And let me tell you who's behind all this. <laughs> you know who's behind, you know who's in control? Do you know who is sovereignly in control? The powerful, positive despot, the ruling monarch from all time and eternity is none other than this awesome triune God, Jehovah. He is absolutely, unequivocally in control. And it may look like things are spiraling and spinning out of control, but this God is in control. And let, let me show you a verse. I will get to Revelation in just a moment. Let me read to you Nahum chapter 1. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and He will not at all acquit the wicked. Now stay with me. God is holy, righteous, and just. He is also simultaneously with no, absolutely no disharmony within His person. He's slow to anger, great in power, and He will not acquit the wicked, so He's just. The Lord has His way. Can I just stop right there? The Lord has His way. He is in control. Listen, if you don't believe that, then you got to believe that man is in control. And if you don't believe that, then you got to believe the devil is in control. Somebody has to be in control. God's in control. In the whirlwind and in the storm, watch this. Look, look at this verse. And the clouds are the dust of His feet. Have y'all ever seen that verse before? That is one of the most majestic, powerful, encouraging verses that I've ever seen in my life. The clouds are just the residue, the dust of His feet. When I was walking into that uh, Radiant Friends is what they call it, uh, LaVon Baker stopped me and said, I want to tell you something. Listen, when LaVon Baker stops you, just stop what you're doing and listen. She said, I was having my quiet time this week and I was thinking about you and I was praying for you. Oh, let me tell you something. As a pastor, there is nothing more melodious and harmonious for a pastor to hear a mere mortal being with this clay feet, earthen treasure in, in, you know, this great treasure in this earthen vessel, to hear somebody say, God put you on my heart this week and I was praying for you. And she said these words. She says, I was reading in my quiet time where God is holy and just and powerful in Isaiah 41, 
But then in Isaiah 40, the same God is gentle, and He is a shepherd who leads His children. And I just want, I just want you to know that I'm praying that God would be that gentle shepherd to your soul. She had no idea that that's what was percolating in my heart. That's part of the message that I wanted to bring uh, to you today. So Revelation chapter 8, it begins with this ominous, awesome word about silence. If you're taking notes, just write the word silence in your first empty space there. Here's what it says. Revelation chapter 8. Now when he opened the seventh seal, he is capitalized. Make note of that. Jesus is ruling. He's in control. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. For 30 minutes, there was this holy hush. There was no praise. There was no activity. There was sovereign God with His cohort of angels, the the redeemed 24 elders, the four living creatures, the multiple, multiple angels in the sky and the heavenlies, and yet all of it was hushed. And John said, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, remember we're in the seven seal judgment. The seventh seal judgment of God, we've looked at all six, the seventh contains the seven trumpets. In other words, the what is about to happen next, there's, this, there's these waves of judgment being poured out on planet earth. A third of the waves are known as the seals. Another third of the waves are known as the trumpets. And then final third is these bowls. And so John says, I, I see in heaven, I see everything, but I don't, I don't hear anything. There is this holy, awesome hush throughout the heavenlies. And listen, friends, what this is, is the great calm before the storm. There is a sense of awe, astonishment, and anticipation. There, the seven angels, you can just see them fly before the Father, and they report Him for duty, and they have these trumpet judgments that are about to be unfurled, and that about to be unfolded on planet Earth. The trumpets. When I was thinking about the trumpets, I thought about in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, trumpets play a very vital role in the life of Israel. I think about Joshua and you know, they blew the shofar, shofar, they blew the horns of the trumpet, and, and the walls, you know, came tumbling down. And I read in Numbers where God tells them, listen, whenever you come together for the feast, blow the trumpets. When you make the offerings, you know, blow the trumpets. And, and the trumpets are an integral part of the life of Israel. And then there's this verse. There's this ominous verse in Joel that says, in the day of the Lord... Blow the trumpets. Here it is. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So the trumpets are about to blare. It's about to be, it's about to be incredibly ferocious on planet Earth as God pours out judgment upon the Antichrist, upon all of those who reject Jesus Christ. And listen, it's going to be very, very clear in the Great Tribulation. You're either going to be with that man of winsomeness, and that man of wisdom, and that man of charisma, and that man that many will gravel before and worship before him. You're either going to follow him, or you're going to follow Jesus Christ. And if you refuse him, you will die. That is what's going to happen 
in the end times in the book of Revelation. And God's about to pour out judgment, and before that there's silence, and before judgment there's also supplication. If you'll notice with me in verses 3 and 4, it says this. In Revelation 8, 3, it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. How about that in heaven? How about altars in heaven? How about incense altars in heaven that resemble the altars in the temple, in the tabernacle? Isn't that fascinating? He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. And I've entitled this section of my message, Supplication. This angel appears and he's offering this incense and this worship to God. And, and it's, it has the connotation, it, and, and really that's what the incense is emblematic of. It's emblematic of the prayers of the saints. And again, this altar very much resembles in the, temple, in the tabernacle, then the temple, and then this heavenly tabernacle, if you will. There's this golden altar with fire on it, and it wafts this incense, and, and this incense is somehow connected to and emblematic of the prayers of the saints. What saints? What saints? Do you remember Revelation chapter 6 where it says, and the tribulation martyrs are saying, God, how long? How much longer till you vindicate us, exonerate us? God, how much longer will you, will you rectify the situation? God, how much longer till you come and make the wrong right? Anybody here ever asked that? Anybody here ever cried out to God, Oh God, you're slow. Oh God, where art thou? Oh God, please rim the heavens and come down. And the heavens are like brass. You know why? Because God is on His own own timetable. He's never early. You ever notice that? He's never late. He's just right. He is on time. That's the fourth time this song has come in my mind. We're going to have to sing it. We're going to sing it in just a minute. Would somebody remind me, say, Brother Danny, we need to sing a song, okay? Now, I'm serious, because I'm going to get rolling here, and I'm going to forget, and you need, somebody needs to raise their hand. Fred Campbell, you're the designated song reminder. Raise your hand and say, Brother Danny, we need to sing, and I'll, and I'll sing it, because I think it's of the Lord. Supplication. In the Old Testament era, this, this one scholar says, this is really interesting. In the Old Testament days, the priests would twice daily, morning and evening, take hot, fiery coals from the brazen altar where sacrifices were offered, and he would transport those hot coals, fiery coals, to the holy place, to the incense altar. This is found in Exodus and Chronicles and Kings and Second Kings and Jeremiah. Okay, watch this. I'm quoting. They then ignited the incense, which rose toward heaven, emblematic of the prayers of the saints. Wow, there are prayers going up to the Father. And I believe it's the tribulation martyr's prayer saying, how much longer? And then thirdly and finally, and we'll wrap this up today, is the sounds of heaven. In verses 5 through 13, we're going to, next week, we're going to be looking at these trumpet judgments, and it's anything but quiet. Look at verses 5 and 6 where it says, then the angel took the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar, watch this, and he threw it to the earth. And listen, friends, when he does this, the silence is eradicated. 
It is burst through and through because now there are sounds and noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. In other words, they're about to go. And they're about to come to planet earth and they're going to pour out judgment on the earth dwellers, on all of those who defy God, who hate Him, hate His Word. Listen, the sides are drawn. You cannot be ambivalent. You cannot be ambiguous. You cannot be obfuscating. You've got to draw the line. And God says, you're either with me or you are against me. And by the way, that's the way it is today. There's no gray compromising. We are either in Christ or we are outside of Christ. Now, let me say this before I close and sing a song. These trumpets are amazing. I think there's atomic nuclear bombs hinted at. I don't understand all of it. I'll be honest with you, I don't. But I know it's not purely figurative and metaphorical. It will be intense. I just hope I'm not here. But if I am, I was talking to someone just last night on the phone. Man, he stocked up his food. He's got cans and cans of food. He's got water everywhere. He's got a filter. I mean, he's, he's ready. And he's a strong follower of Christ. And he says, you know, if, if, we, if, we make, if, we, if we're here during the tribulation, then at least I'm not going to starve. I'm going I'm to have some food. Interesting days. Would y'all not at least agree that these are interesting days? If you don't believe that, I think you're in the minority. Even Hollywood, as lame-brained as they are, they understand that there is something cosmic and chaotic going on and on the horizon. I just want you all to know, I sleep really well when it comes to things like this. I do not worry about this stuff at all. What I was looking to more than anything, more than even this sermon today, I was looking forward to Matthew Dela Cruz and Ryder Worrell. Because we get to see two lives that were changed by the gospel. One of them, God spoke to him through a dream. And wouldn't, listen, if y'all are having dreams, and it's not because of the pizza you ate, and it's not from the evil one, but allow God to speak to you through dreams. He did with Joseph. He did with Daniel. Now listen, I'm not a dreamologist. Don't tell me all your dreams and ask me to translate them. I can't. I don't have the gift of that. But you just be open to what the Lord might say to you through these visions and, and dreams. Okay, before we have the invitation, for the fifth time, sixth time, I've thought about this song. And I'm going to ask you to sing it with me. It's, it's pretty simple, and I've gone way past my time. I, I really prepared for about 12 o'clock. I wanted to get us out early so we can have our short business conference, which I don't think is going to take long. But um, do you all have just a few more minutes? Okay, good. Well, why don't you stand to your feet? Let's, let's sing a song. Oh, mercy. Uh, Lindy, uh, do you know a song? <laughs> Lindy's like, oh, mercy. What is he going to ask me to do? I always start out too high, but it's this, it's this trilogy, triune song about praising God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We glorify thy name. Do you all know this song? So let me, let me sing it just a little bit, <clears throat> and then I'll ask you to join me. 
It says, Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify, glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name. Come on. Glorify thy name. Say it again. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name in all the earth. That's Father. Now we're going to say it to the Son. Ready? Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We worship and adore. Isn't it true? Glorify. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify. Sing it. Come on, church. Glorify thy name. Oh, good. Glorify thy name. One more time. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Guess who we're going to sing to next? Anybody curious? Son, the Holy Spirit of God. Let's sing it to him. Ready? Spirit, we love you. We worship, we worship and adore you. We glorify him. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Woo! Come on, sing it, church. Brother Terry, why don't you and the, the band come on, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And what we're going to do at this time is we're just going to have a time where you can respond uh, to what you have heard from the message of the gospel, okay? If God has spoken to you and you don't want to be left behind and you don't want to go to hell, listen, that is a good thing. You should not want to be left behind or go to hell because those are the choices. You get to serve God and go to heaven or you get to serve the enemy and go to hell. You say, well, I want to go to heaven. Then come. Come. May not be the purest of motives to be saved, but it's a motive. I'll take it, all right? Come and say, I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to give my allegiance to Him. And I want to be able to sing like you guys just sang with joy and peace. And that book gives me the ibby-jibbies. It scares me to death. Listen, it's not a book of fear. That is a book of faith. And I want you to be at peace and joy. Why don't you come and we will share Christ with you and how you can repent of your sins and be born again. Some of you are here today. And praise the Lord for this lady. I, uh, last Sunday night in the town hall, she stood up. Man, and she shared a word about our church. How she couldn't wait to join Great Hills Baptist Church. Man, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so you may be here and say, well, I'm ready. What, what do I need to do? Then come on. We got pastors. We got deacons. We got folk everywhere. We'll receive you. We'll pray with you. And then we'll tell you how to get into our November the 16th new members class. Only cost you $5,000. That is a deal. <laughs> Man, that's a deal to get in. To join our church, five grand, that's not bad at all. You know, I'm kidding. 
You just got to come with a, with a heart, with a sweet heart that says, I want to know Jesus. I want to serve Him at Great Hills. Now, before we go, before we sing, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but is Matthew and Ryder the only ones who needed to be baptized today? I wonder if there's somebody here today. You say, Brother Danny, I know I need to do that. I need to go public with Christ. Can, can I just share something with y'all? Whenever you get baptized, God reserves a blessing for you. And I can't, I can't explain it, but whenever you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, He does something in your life that's amazing, okay? Now, I'm not talking about you've been baptized 18 times. No, I'm not talking about I'm talking about you, you've accepted Jesus and you have not been baptized, okay? You've got to get your baptism on the right order of your salvation. So Matthew and Ryder, just hold on. You're going to get blessed. Somehow, some way, there are going to be blessings untold. Because here's what happens. When you get in the baptistry, you go public. You, you, you tell the world, I am not ashamed of Christ. I want to follow Him. So if you're here today, and you'd say, Brother Danny, would you, or Brother Mike, or Brother Ross, or Brother Daniel, or even Brother Terry will hop in there with his guitar, amen? He'll hop in the baptistry. We will baptize you in the name of what we just sang. Father, help me, Son, Holy Spirit. So why don't you come? God bless you, Terry. Let's sing, and we'll welcome you as you come, and we'll help you in your decision to follow Christ. Here we go.